Well, it is great to be here with you all. I know we're all excited to learn about this topic, overcoming anxiety. And we know that Jesus taught a lot. Uh, we have the words of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, recorded in the four biographies of Jesus, which are known as the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, you know, of all the teaching that Jesus gave, all the commands that he gave, all the things that he told us to do and not to do, uh, the most used uh, prohibitive command where Jesus said, don't do this, the most used uh, by far more than anything else was the command to not be afraid. To not be afraid or its synonyms, to not worry, to not be anxious. And you might think, why did Jesus talk so much and teach so much that we shouldn't be fearful, that we shouldn't be worried, that we shouldn't be anxious? And we know that it's because he understands that we battle with things like fear and worry and anxiety. Uh, we battle with these things because we don't know the future. And we are fully dependent upon God and whatever his will is for us. And we just don't know what's going to happen. And so we fail. We fail because we don't trust him perfectly and we are then victim to or, uh, you know, susceptible to these emotions, these feelings, again, of fear and worry and anxiety. And we all have to battle this. I'm sure you've all heard of John Piper before. Uh, he's a very prolific, well-known, great Bible teacher. John Piper himself said... There is no human being on the planet beside Jesus who doesn't struggle with anxiety. He said, all of us are flawed in our faith. If we were perfect in our faith, we would be anxiety free. And then R.C. Sproul, if you've heard of R.C. Sproul, he's one of my heroes of the faith, I think only second to our pastor, Mike. Uh, but R.C. Sproul said about the command to not worry, he said, I doubt there's any commandment of God I've broken more frequently than this one. He said, this is a judgment on my confidence and faith in God. I mean, these are great men of the faith who love God, who have given their lives over to serving God. And they admit humbly that this has been tough uh, to battle with these things, fear, worry, and anxiety. And yet we know that Jesus taught that it was a sin, that we're not to be anxious, we're not to be worried, we're not to be laden with fear. So we've got Jesus' teaching on one hand, don't worry, don't be anxious. And on the other hand, we have the truth that we all battle with anxiety. So what do we do? Well, that's what we're here to learn about this weekend. Uh, we're going to begin tonight to scratch the surface on this uh, very important topic. 
We're going to spend a few minutes in Matthew 6, 25 through 34. That's our opening passage. And we're going to think through what Jesus revealed about the sin of worry and the first steps that we can begin to take to overcome this universal problem. So let's look at the text together. Uh, it's in your program. You can bring it up in your Bible or your phone. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Let's read it together. Uh, Jesus said, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself." Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Wow, what an incredible passage. Uh, this is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount was addressed to his disciples, but as he was teaching his disciples, the text tells us that were, there were many crowds there. So there were all sorts of people listening to and learning from Jesus. And they were waiting for Jesus to set up his kingdom, uh, to establish himself as king and set up his rule on earth. Uh, but in the meantime, they needed to know how do we live? What is it that you're calling us to do while we're here on this planet? And Jesus taught them through this passage, one of the things that's super important is that you do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Uh, the Greek word there uh, for anxious or that's translated anxious is merimnao. And it's translated six times in our passage as anxious. Uh, some translations, the NIV, the NAS, uh, the CSB, they translate this as worry. So anxious here and worry, they're two synonyms. They go together. Jesus saying, don't worry, don't be anxious. Now, it's interesting, uh, this Greek word that's translated as anxious, merimnao, it can refer to anxiety that's due to a genuine or even a healthy concern. Uh, we see that in Philippians 2, 19 and 20. 
Philippians 2, 19 and 20, Paul writing to the church at Philippi, saying to them, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. And then he says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So commending Timothy and saying that he was genuinely concerned for the welfare of those at Philippi, that word concern there is the same Greek word, uh, merimnao. It's a genuine concern here. Or in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, Paul says of himself, he says, and apart from all other things, there is daily pressure on me and my anxiety for all the churches. Same Greek word, merimnao. But uh, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, Jesus isn't talking about what Paul referred to when he said he had this uh, concern for the churches or what he's even commending in Timothy. Uh, this anxiety that Jesus is referring to, it's an intense concern about something or someone accompanied by the fear that you may not achieve your desired outcome. So again, it's a, an intense concern about something or someone accompanied by a fear, the fear that you may not achieve your desired outcome. You know, and sometimes when we think about anxiety, we think about things like panic attacks and, you know, someone maybe in the corner of their room with a brown paper bag every Friday night. Uh, and that's not what Jesus was talking about here either. Uh, being anxious includes far more than that because it's a condition of the heart. It is an emotion that's driven by a fear that is inconsistent with the faith that we should have in God. And that's what we will see. Uh, and before we start our whole weekend thinking about anxiety, it's important to note, uh, it's important to note one thing. And that is that there is a connection between emotional, uh, emotional health, the condition of our heart, so to speak, and our physical health. Um, emotional, emotional and physical health are impacted by our food and our drink, what we eat and drink, uh, impacted by our sleeping and our exercise, even impacted by our body chemistry. And when those things get out of whack, uh, the food and drink that we're consuming, uh, the amount of sleep that we have, a lack of exercise, even a faulty body chemistry, which is no fault of ours, uh, that can create the sensation of anxiety. And that's not what Jesus was referring to here either. So if we're dealing with that, we got to make sure that we're eating right, that we're drinking the right things, that we're sleeping well, getting exercise. And if we need to go to the doctor, going to the doctor to get our body chemistry adjusted if necessary. Uh, the type of anxiety that Jesus is talking about here is a type of anxiety that is sinful because it's a failure. It's rooted in a failure to trust the word of God. We know the Bible says that God is omniscient, that he knows everything, that God is omnipotent. He is all powerful and that God is merciful. He is forgiving 
And if we trust those things, that God knows everything, everything that will happen or even has the potential to happen, if he is all-powerful, if there's not one loose molecule in the universe, and that if he forgives us when we humbly come before him, we truly have no need for that sinful anxiety. And when we have it, it's because we're failing to trust him and his character. In a sense, we're saying that he is not who he says that he is in his word. And Jesus, uh, Jesus says that this kind of sinful anxiety, it's also useless. He says it's useless for us. Uh, let's look back at verses 25 through 27 of Matthew 6. Uh, Jesus saying, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? first point here is we have got to listen to what Jesus said and admit that worry is useless. It does us no good to worry. Jesus said here in this exhortation in verse 25 again, do not be anxious about your life. He's saying don't be anxious about anything for any reason here. We know that uh, fear of not having our basic needs met can create a sense of anxiety or worry within us. But then he asks us this question. He says here, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? If you were in that first century audience, how would you respond to Jesus when he's asking that question? When he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? What would you say? Yeah, right? Yeah. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Yes. Uh, life is not only temporal, it's eternal. And the body, this physical body, is also eternal. God will resurrect it one day. God gave us life, and God made our bodies. He created them, and he will and can provide for them. And then Jesus gives this great illustration of the birds. There in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. So imagine birds around them. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet you're Heavenly Father feeds them. So Jesus is saying, you know, when a bird goes out to look for food, uh, he doesn't go with a bunch of seed in his beak and then go dig a hole with his beak and then plant the seed in the hole that he dug with his beak and then cover the hole with his feet, you know, with the little soil there and then go back to his nest and sit up there and come down and try to water it and then go back to his nest and wait and water it again. He doesn't do that. That's not what a bird does. Where does he get his food? He goes out, he does what he's called to do and he gets his food from God. Now, the bird doesn't expect God to just drop food into his mouth, but he goes out and he seeks his food without worry. 
without a fear that he's not going to get food, without useless worry to consume uh, what he's called to do. And then the second question Jesus asked there, asking his audience, the same thing would ask us, are you not of more value than they? Uh, If Jesus asked you that, if he looked right at you and said, are you not of more value than a bird? How would you answer him? Well, yeah, of course I'm of more value than a bird. Because your word tells me in Genesis 1.27 that I was created in your image. That I bear your divine image. Of course I'm more value than a, valuable than a bird. We eat birds, right? We eat chickens. We don't eat each other. Yes, we're more valuable than birds. And the Spirit, the Bible tells us that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit as Christians that we are the children of God. Uh, Yes, I am more valuable than a bird. Yes, the answer is yes. Jesus is saying if God takes care of the birds, he's going to take care of you. It's interesting because we see this angle that Jesus is bringing in about uh, work or striving. And that Greek word, that mermnao, uh, it can also be translated in some places as work or striving is what it can actually mean. And we see that these birds, again, aren't striving after or working so hard for the food. They just go out and they get the food that God provides. And you might think, you know, I'm good. I got this anxiety thing. Because I don't worry about food, and I don't worry about clothing. But we live in a very different world than they lived in in the first century. In the first century, uh, you couldn't always get food and drink. I mean, when Jesus said, you know, give us this day our daily bread, a lot of times they were going day to day for their bread. So we have to think, you know, I can't really make it about food and drink. I got to say, what am I worried about? I mean, really asking myself, what am I worried about? What is it that makes me anxious? And then Jesus asks another question after that. He says, let me ask you this. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So if Jesus is asking you that, if he says, listen, if you worry, can it add even a single hour to your life? Will it add one hour to your life if you worry? How would you answer him? No, right? No, it's useless. It doesn't fix anything. It doesn't make anything right. In fact, we know 2,000 years later that studies have proven that anxiety actually reduces your span of life, right? So no, worry doesn't add an hour to your life. It is useless. And then let's see what he adds in verses 28 through 30. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
So he's asking us, why are you anxious about clothing? I mean, if he were to ask you that, why are you anxious about clothing? I don't know. I want to look good. Um, I have nothing cute to wear. I mean, how would I answer him? Probably that way, right? But you know, clothing uh, now is very different than clothing back then. Back then, it was hard to get clothing in the first century. In fact, people would actually will their clothes. They were like heirlooms passed down from one generation to the next because it was so difficult to get clothing. Today, you can literally find clothing in the trash. And sometimes I have to think, oh, no, I'll be more noble and donate it rather than put it in the trash, right? I mean, very different. But clothing was something extremely valuable. So what if Jesus said, instead of, you know, why are you anxious about clothing? Why are you anxious about that thing that is so valuable? That's so valuable in your culture. Why are you so anxious about your bank account? Or having a reliable car? Or why are you so anxious about home ownership and owning a home? Or advancing in your career, having that stellar health, or even having a family? Why are these things making you anxious? And we got to ask ourselves, why? And then he gives us the illustration. Uh, Consider the lilies. He says, now, those lilies, they were beautiful flowers. They still have, you know, these lilies, these flowers, these wild flowers in Jerusalem and Israel, and they're, they're gorgeous. If you've ever seen the orange California poppies, uh, they're beautiful like that. They cover the land, and they're uh, red and yellow and orange and white, and they look beautiful. Now, birds had to at least go leave the nest to get their food, right? But the lilies, the flowers, what do they do to be so gorgeous? I mean, how much work do they put into this? Uh, What do they do? Nothing, right? They're clothed by God, and that's what Jesus is teaching here. And then he says they're even more beautiful They're more glorious than Solomon. King Solomon was in all of his grandeur. And you know, uh, Israel was at its height economically. The wealth of Israel was unsurpassed uh, in the leadership of Solomon. When Solomon was king, Israel was at her highest peak and, you know, seemed to be the most wealthy. So glorious King Solomon, he's saying, is dwarfed by these beautiful flowers that God has created. So God says in the next question, asking us, Jesus asking us, saying right to us, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? If God takes that kind of care of the flowers of the grass, I mean, will he not take care of you concerning those things that you're so worried about and so anxious about? The answer would be, yeah, sure. Yeah, if God makes his creation so beautiful, yes. And he reduces it down to grass. And the grass was literally cut to be thrown into kitchen ovens. And, you know, the grass was up today and down tomorrow. 
And Jesus is saying, even the grass is taken care of and important to God, although it's cut down and used as fuel for the fire. The flowers and the grass aren't doing anything to look good. All the worry, Jesus is saying, is useless. And he gives us these facts. He gives us these facts so that we can start to train our minds and get our emotions in line with truth. That's what we need to do is line up our emotions with truth. He's saying God provides, God has always provided, and he will provide for you. He will provide for you everything that you need. And then he adds that statement, oh, you of little faith. Jesus saying here, if God's truth fails to override your fears and your feelings, then your faith is little. If the truth that God gives does not override your fears and your feelings, then your faith, it's little. It's little faith. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of oligarchs. Uh, I heard yesterday in the news about how we're going to be sanctioning the oligarchs in Russia, uh, the few that have a lot of power. Well, this word here for little faith is oligopistas, and it means literally uh, a few amount, a little amount of faith. Pistas, pistas is faith. So it's not an absence of faith, Jesus is saying, but it's a little bit of faith. And you might be thinking, I wish I knew how to increase my faith. And I'm glad that you're coming back tomorrow morning because we're going to learn how to trust God more and even more about, you know, being of little faith. Jesus goes on in verses 31 and 32 with his exhortation again. Therefore, because of this, do not be anxious, saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So Jesus saying, now the basis for not worrying about these things is because this is what the world does. The Gentiles, those who don't know God, and you have a father. You have a father that knows everything that you need. He knows every hair on your head. He knows what you need even more than you do. So what are we afraid of? Are we afraid of the same things that the Gentiles or non-believers are afraid of? Well, if so, that's not right. That's useless worry because we have a father and our father is God. He's the king and the creator of the universe. He can give us whatever he wants if it's what we really need. Psalm 127 verse 2. Interesting, Psalm 127 verse 2 says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, that's not in any way condemning hard work. Hard work is good. But it's reminding us that it's useless, it's futile to chase after what God has already decided or promised or purposed to give. And you know what's interesting? Because in this teaching, uh, Jesus doesn't leave us with just what we shouldn't do. 
But he goes on and he tells us, you know, this is what you should do. Instead of seeking and striving after these personal needs, this is what you are to uh, pursue. Look at verse 33. But instead, in contrast to all of that, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus saying, this is what you're to seek. This is where your effort and your energy is to go. Uh, not chasing after your own personal needs and desires, but instead turning around, taking your focus off yourself and putting it onto him and seeking the things that are important to him and his kingdom. So the second point here is keep following Jesus. Uh, realize that your anxiety, it's useless. And instead, you're called to keep on following Jesus. Stay on track and just keep seeking the things of his kingdom. Uh, that word there, seek, the, the Greek zeteo, it means to, to look for or desire to seek. I mean, there's an implication of work here. And it's in the imperative tense. That means it's a command and it's the present. It's something that we're to keep on doing. So Jesus is saying, you need to know where to focus your energy and your efforts. This is where to do it. Focus your energy and efforts into my kingdom and my righteousness. Now, remember back in verse 32, it said the Gentiles, the non-believers, they seek after all these things. Uh, it's the same Greek word, but it's got a heightened prefix there. It's epizeteo. So they really seek after this. So there's this brilliant contrast here. Jesus is saying the world seeks after all this stuff. And I'm telling you, don't seek after that, but seek after this instead. Seek after my kingdom and my righteousness. And that's the contrast. Now, remember uh, when we looked at the passage in the beginning there in verse 25, where Jesus gave the exhortation that drives the whole passage, where he said, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Back in Matthew 6, 25, what begins with the word, therefore, right? So what was he pointing back to when he said, don't be anxious about your life? Therefore, don't be anxious about your life. It was pointing back to Matthew 6, 24. Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And that Greek word for money there, mammon, it means God and stuff. You can't serve God and serve the stuff of this life. You can't serve God and serve possessions and money. He said, you've got to make a choice. You've got to make a choice here. We all do. Are we going to serve money and possessions and stuff in this life? Or are we going to serve God? It's one or the other. We've got to choose one of the other. And that's where, when he's teaching the disciples, when he's teaching the crowds in this sermon, they're thinking, wow, Jesus is calling us to a hard decision here. We either serve ourselves and serve our stuff and chase after the things of this life, or we serve him. And if we serve him, 
what are we going to do about our own stuff? Who's going to take care of us? How are we going to take care of our own needs? And that's why he promises us. He promises us there in verse 33. If we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he will take care of our needs. That is a promise from Jesus himself. Now, it doesn't mean that he's some divine vending machine up in the sky and that we can just go up there and order whatever we want. But it does mean that if we put him first, we have his word that everything that we genuinely need will be given to us by God himself. That is a promise. So we can strive after our own needs and our own concerns and our own wants, and we can end up with anxiety. Or we can say, no, instead, I'm going to seek the kingdom. I'm going to seek what God wants and his righteousness and end up with peace because God will take care of our needs. We've got to put effort into that. That seeking, that striving, that longing for, it implies effort. There's got to be effort put into this. Effort put into learning how to follow Jesus and choosing to follow Jesus instead of ourselves. And it does. It takes work and it takes effort. And we see this in an interesting way in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is actually teaching the church at Corinth about marriage. And there's an interesting part there in verses 32 through 34 where he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. He says, the unmarried man is anxious. Same Greek word, the merimnau, anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious, the merimno, about worldly things, how to please her husband. So Paul teaching there, not saying that marriage is bad at all. It's, you know, wedged in a whole teaching about the beauty of marriage. But he's saying here, there is a truth here. And that is that when we add layers to our life, marriage and children and careers, our interests become divided. And as our interests become more and more divided, it's going to take more effort, energy, work in a sense for us to uh, track with Jesus, his kingdom and his righteousness. What does he want me to do? How does he want me to live in all these different arenas of life? What is the right way to do this? As it says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And that righteousness there isn't like a positional justification by faith, but that is a right way of living. He's saying, you know, seek, figure out, find out how to live rightly. So we have to ask ourselves if we have these layers, how would Jesus respond rightly if he were in my marriage? What would he do? How would Jesus respond rightly if he had my children to parent? How would Jesus parent those kids? How would Jesus handle my career? and the challenges or even the indifference that I feel towards my career? How would Jesus live in community with the people at my church, 
Really, if he were at my church, how would he treat others and view others? How would Jesus live if he were in the exact same circumstances that I'm in, in the exact same life that I'm in? We have to ask ourselves that. And then we respond rightly, and we are seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. And he taught us these truths not to stifle our fun or to cheat us from a good time, but he wants us to learn how to live rightly and without anxiety, without regret. We need to follow Jesus and follow hard after him, putting his desires before our own in all these areas, in our marriages, in our parenting, uh, in our career, in our church. What would Jesus want us to do? And if we're seeking his righteousness, if we're keeping our focus in the right place, seeking the right things, putting our effort and energy in the right place, it will keep our hearts and our minds from sinful worry and anxiety. I mean, if we took all of our effort and energy and passion and really put it in to saying, how would Jesus want me to live in all of these different arenas of life that he's entrusted to me? We're not going to have a lot of time left over for sinful worry and anxiety. Because you know what? Sinful worry and anxiety, you know where it lives, where it takes residence, where it dwells? In our minds. Right? This stuff is going on in our minds. And that's why Jesus said in verse 34, Jesus said, Therefore, so because of all this now, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now this is Jesus' final exhortation here. In this teaching unit, he says, first, listen, anxiety, it's useless. It's not going to do you any good. Second, he's saying, keep following me. Keep seeking my kingdom and my righteousness. And then he says here, basically, oh, and don't freak out about the future. I mean, that's what he's saying. He's saying here, stop trying to predict the future. And that's the third point. Stop trying to predict the future. Jesus is saying, don't worry about tomorrow. Let's deal with today. Uh, Will there be trouble tomorrow? Sure. He said there will be trouble tomorrow. Uh, That Greek word kakeia, trouble, it's evil or trouble or misfortune. When he said all these things will be added to you in verse 33 right before, that did not mean in any way that we would be exempt from evil or trouble or misfortune. But what it did mean, what Jesus is saying here, is that when we start finding ourselves worrying about the future, when we start picturing that negative outcome and creating that whole scenario in our mind, mapping it out, we're in essence saying, I'm a fortune teller, right? I can predict the future. This is what's going to happen, and then that's going to happen, and this is going to happen, and that's going to happen. And Jesus says, stop. You can't. You're not a fortune teller. You're not doing a good job with it. If you've ever seen The Wizard of Oz, you know, Professor Marvel is there with Dorothy, and he's, you know, looking at her photo underneath the table. Yeah, white picket fence, right? It's like, 
Professor Marvel, you better brush up on your fortune-telling skills. And it's the same thing with us. Jesus saying, no, you're not a fortune-teller. Don't go there. In fact, don't brush up on your fortune-telling skills. Abandon them altogether. That's what Jesus' half-brother James said. Jesus' half-brother James said in James 4, 13 through 16. James 4, 13 through 16. Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You know exactly what you're going to do. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. We will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. It's wrong. Now, we're rarely anxious about today. We're anxious about tomorrow and next week and next month and next year. Now, if we were to take Jesus very seriously here and restrict all of our concerns, all of our anxieties, so to speak, to today, we probably wouldn't be left with that much. Uh, we'd be right on our way to overcoming anxiety. Every single one of Jesus' 12 disciples ran into difficulty in their life. They had hard times, they had trouble, and yet they were called to live without this sinful worry or anxiety. They didn't know the future, but you know what? Jesus did know the future, didn't he? He knew the future. He knew what was going to happen to him. He knew some really horrific things were going to happen in his life. But he didn't waste his time freaking out about what was going to happen in the future. He lived each day. He sought first God's kingdom and God's righteousness and enjoyed each day. He didn't just get bottled up every day about, you guys have no idea about what's coming. He knew what was coming. There's a, a quote from uh, Julius Caesar written by Shakespeare. And many of you have probably heard this. I, I think it's a, a very profound quote. Julius Caesar says in the play, cowards die many times before their death. The valiant never taste of death but once. Uh, if that seems confusing to you, cowards die many times before their death. Why would cowards die many times before their death? Because they're playing it out, right? Oh, this is going to happen and that's going to happen. I'm going to die like this and this is going to be painful and I don't know if I can handle that pain. And if it happens like this and happens like that, and they go through the whole experience of death without even dying. And it's the valiant that never taste of death but once. They live one day. They listen to what Jesus said in a sense. And they live today. They don't die tomorrow getting ahead of themselves there. The coward is living out constantly as if his death were today when it's coming tomorrow. Uh, playing all of those reels. And this is what Jesus is teaching his disciples here. If you want to be free from anxiety, stop playing the fortune-telling act. It's not working, and it's only making you worry, fearful, and anxious. Uh, William Barclay, a well-known scholar and commentator, said, there may be greater sins than worry, 
There may, may be greater sins than worry, but very certainly there is no more disabling sin. So yeah, there are greater things, worse things than worry, but worry paralyzes us. It really keeps us from living today and doing what Christ has called us to do. Are bad things going to happen? Yes, bad things will happen. They will happen to all of us. But God will give us strength in that time to do what he's called us to do when we get there. I have a friend that was struggling with her faith. And she said, I just don't understand it. I feel like I have no faith. And I said, why? And she said, I read about these women that in the first century, they were thrown to the lions in the Colosseum and they took their babies, their infants, and they handed their infants off to others. And they just allowed their bodies to be torn by lions for the sake of the gospel. And I just don't think I could do that. And it's like, yeah, why would Jesus give you the strength to be torn up by lions and hand your baby off when he hasn't called you to do that? I, you know, we want tomorrow all the time today. We want the strength to get through that thing that might be coming or could be coming. And Jesus is not going to give us the strength for that today. He's going to give us the strength for today. Uh, Corey Ten Boom, who I often reference and really enjoy uh, reading her story. If you haven't read The Hiding Place, uh, her biography, it's well worth the read and worth investing in. But she said that she would go with her mom and her sister to visit the poor people in their town. And uh, they went to visit one young woman who had just lost her baby. Uh, her baby had died. And uh, when they went up the stairs to the house, they saw a little homemade crib there. And her and her sister saw the dead infant in the crib. And she said her sister reached out and, you know, gently touched the side of the baby's face. And she also reached out and touched the little hand. And she said she could remember just the little cold, curled-up hand. And she was young, and when she went home that day, all she could think about was that little cold curled up hand. And when her dad uh, came to tuck her and her sister in bed that night, a very wise and godly man, uh, the hiding place records that he sat down on the edge of the bed and he said to her, when you and I go to Amsterdam, when do I give you your ticket? Well, they used to take the train to Amsterdam. He was a watchmaker, and he would go to Amsterdam so that he could get the precise time. And she would go with him every now and then. So when we go to Amsterdam, when do I give you your ticket? When do I give you that ticket to get on the train? And she said, I sniffed a few times considering this and said, just before we get on the train. Exactly, her dad said. And our wise father in heaven knows when we're going to need things. Don't run ahead of him. When the time comes that some of us will have to die, you will look into your heart and find the strength you need just in time. You know, that's the same thing that Jesus was teaching here. Don't get ahead of yourself. You know how much worry would be saved if we stopped doing that? 
if we stopped getting ahead of ourselves next month, next week, next year, and just really enjoyed what Christ has called us to today, not trying to predict the future, Jesus will give us words when we need the words. He'll give us the strength to forgive when he calls us to forgive. He'll give us the courage to stand up in that situation when he calls us to be courageous and to stand up in that situation. He'll give us strength when we need the strength, but he won't give it to us now. But you know what he does give us? He promises us that all the way through this, he will be with us. The very last line of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, 20, the very last line Jesus says to his disciples, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now think about that for a second. Jesus is with us. Whatever he's called us to do, he is with us to the very end of the age. He's not letting go. He's not giving up on us. If we knew with full assurance that every second of our life, every moment, every situation, every place we end up, every difficulty we face, that Jesus is right here with us, right by our side, that would diffuse so much unnecessary anxiety. I mean, why would we be anxious about anything at that point? And we see the same truth written by David in the 23rd Psalm. You guys probably know this one. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. God is with him. God is with us. We don't need to be afraid. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for allowing us to explore this rich teaching of Jesus here our first night of our retreat, Lord God. We thank you for this passage, Matthew 6, 25 through 34, where Jesus taught us just about the uselessness of worry. God, please help us to see how much time we've wasted worrying about things, things that never even happened or never came true. God, please help us instead to take that energy and effort that we put into worrying or chasing after the things of this life and help us, God, please, to put that energy and effort into pursuing you, your kingdom, following you, following you, learning how to live righteously in all the different areas and spheres of life that you've called us to. And God, please, if anything, if we go out of here with anything, help us all, every single one of us, to drop the fortune teller act. God, please help us to live and enjoy today, not to live without planning or without thinking about the future, but to stop worrying about things that have not yet taken place. God, we look forward to learning more about you and your son and all of the provision and instruction and care and comfort, protection that you have for us God, open our hearts. Help us to be honest. Help us to learn to believe you, to trust you, to lean on you more than ever before. Because truly, 
apart from you, we're nothing. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Thank you, Stephanie. Wow. So, so good. <laughs> I'm blown. Say? 